No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And could that ever be more apt than uh, <laughs> the start we're off to here tonight? I don't, and I know a lot of people out there listening. Well, it's all going to be cleaned up anyway, so we don't want to be, belabor it. But the uh, but the, the the blame lies with Blog Talk, folks, not with me. It's not my Radio Shack phone this time. It's uh, somehow Blog Talk went down at the uh, at the ideal time when we start the show. So. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that was the end of it, and we can get going here with uh, the prolific Nick Redfern. Nick, how many books have you written uh, at this point? Um, I think it's it's forty one or forty two, something like that. So, wow! All right, forty forty one or forty two. That is across like twenty two years, so it's like two a year. If you look at it like that, it's not um, too hard. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, exactly. I mean. Yeah, yeah, this has come from the guy who's written zero books. So, yeah, yeah, it sounds, <laughs> sounds like it's not, not hard at all. I have a theory, though. I, I think that you write these books while you're doing these shows. Like, I think you're going to I think you're gonna <laughs> yeah. finish tonight's show and be like, oh, I got a whole chapter done. That was great. This was, <laughs> this was awesome. Well, you know, I, it's, I mean, joking aside, it is really the opposite. I like to sort of just do sort of nine to five, Monday to Friday, and then switch off, you know, uh, evenings, weekends, and... Um, because I think if I if I did kind of do this twenty four seven, I'd just be burned out. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I'd, yeah. Um, I'd be fried. So yeah, I like to sort of keep nine to five, like I said, Monday to Friday, and um, then it's sort of total, you know, different life. You know, just to <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's when you. That's when uh, you know you step back from this stuff. I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I, I yeah. you know, paranormal's my job now, so it's like. Yeah. It's like when you're not. That's why for a while, like all last year, I wasn't doing shows because it was so hard to uh, to do stuff. Because it's like oh, more paranormal, Jesus. But I missed uh, doing the program. And and I was gonna say, you know, I I, I feel bad. This is like kind of like ironic timing in a sense because Nick's the guest here. Because I was gonna say in my, you know, in my you know famous or infamous hyperbolically laced uh, introductions here, but I got all thrown off because of those technical difficulties. But I was going to say, if I, no one's asked me this, but if I had one regret about the show, because this is our final season, and we're going to go do something else, who knows what, but uh, this is the final season in the seasonal style of Banal of America. And if, if anybody ever asked me, they haven't, but uh, what, what my one regret would be, I think I would have to say, at least uh, on the list, would be not having Nick Redfern on enough. 
because uh, I should have made you one of the staples of the show alongside, uh, you know, like Greg and and uh, Stan Friedman and some of the other titans that come on over and over and over again. I, I was I I used you more sparingly than I should have, and that was. Oh, I'm right about that. I mean, you know, I'm I'm usually on like once a year, twice a year, so um, you know, that's, that's not a. I never even gave that any thought, you know. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, no, it's it all on my end as a creator because you bring such good shit to the table that it's like, I should have made better use of Nick. I'm an idiot. That's kind of my, my point because, you know, with all those books and all all these different uh, – and what I like about you is you – I'm sure I've said this before in the past. It's like you cover all these different areas. You know, you, you're not just a UFO guy. You're also doing the cryptids, and I also see that you've put out some stuff – I'm sure you've done it in the past too, but I see some recent stuff that's like more conspiracy oriented. You got a book coming up called the New World Order book. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to sort of switch it around, providing it's stuff I'm interested in. I mean, you know, people ask me why I don't write books about ghosts. Well, it's simple. I'm not really interested in ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm not saying that I don't believe there's a phenomenon or, you know, no life after death. I think there is, but I'm just. Reading sort of haunted house stories and things like that just doesn't really do anything for me. So, you know, I like to write about the things which interest me, like uh, <clears throat> cryptozoology, uh, the UFO subject, some aspects of conspiracies, um, not so much political stuff, more, yeah. you know, um, sort of UFO conspiracy, that kind of thing. Um, those are sort of the main areas I like to sort of write about because I think if you kind of placed in a position of writing stuff you don't really want to write about and your heart's not really in it you, there's no real point in doing it you know what I mean if you yeah. do something that you do enjoy and I think that applies to every aspect in life you know if you if you don't like the way your life is change it or you know so uh, that's what I try and do I try and sort of you know go with the things that I'm interested in because I think if you're not really into it, you know, the the research can kind of be a drag. And, um, and like I said, you, you're just not you, – your heart and your mind isn't really into it. So It makes it harder, too. It probably takes you even well, it longer. Does. It, yeah, it's like, oh, God, you know, I've got to do another 25 pages today or on, the, on a subject I have no interest in. So it's kind of like, um, well, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as yeah. long as you know, as long as I've got a a passion for what I do, you know, and in terms of um, what I'm writing about and researching, you know, I'll keep doing it. If the day comes when I'm like, okay, I've done what I wanted to do and said what I wanted to say, then I'll stop. You know, I don't want to. <clears throat> what I don't want to do is end up like some, you know, like your favorite band when they they get old and they just go out on tour and play the same old greatest hits and they're not as good as they were it's like well why do that you know for me i'd sort of prefer to get out of the subject when i felt i'd reached that point where i didn't want to do it anymore or i felt i'd sort of said all that i needed to say and you know i hope i will know, i'll know when that time is you know what i mean rather yeah, yeah. than just ending up like some you know banned 30 years from now or something um you know like i said just playing your greatest hits but not playing them that well anymore <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly um have you that it's an, that's an interesting sort of uh point though have you ever like gotten to the point where you think you might be there like have you ever had 
sort of moments where you're like, I don't know what I'm gonna, you know, maybe maybe I've I've reached my my limit here. No, I wouldn't say that, that that hasn't happened, but I think it's always important to be kind of mindful. And there have been times when, you know, that I haven't written many books because the subjects weren't there that I wanted to write about. Right. Um, so, you know, although I've been, I guess I've been lucky in the sense by doing two a year, I've, I've largely been able to maintain, um, you know, writing about subjects that do interest me, that hopefully interest the readers, but I mean, between 1999, when my third book came out, I didn't write another book till 2003. There was like a four-year uh, period in where I didn't write any books at all, uh, and oh, wow. that was that was purely and simply because I was like, well, you know, I'm trying to, if I want to write a book right now, it would be like forced, and so again, there's no point forcing yourself to write something that you don't want to do, um, but. I've sort of, you know, got into that mode where there are a lot of things that interest me, which I think will interest the readers. But, you know, sometimes they, they may be obscure things um, and they don't sell that well. But, you know, that that's not the motivation. You know, the main motivation is getting the information out and help people enjoy the books. I mean, some of my books have sold, um, one of them sold about Thirteen or fourteen thousand copies, which is you know, which is pretty good for an obscure subject like UFOs. Yeah. Um, some of them at four or five thousand. I think two or three of my books have, are still below like five hundred because they're like really obscure, <laughs> weird subjects, you know. But you know, to me that that's fine. If the people who do buy them enjoy them, well, that's cool. You know, I'm not I'm not um, looking as a book as a failure if it sells five hundred copies. I'm looking at you know, it's a good thing that there are 500 people who share my fascination for that particular topic. So. Yeah. Have you ever considered writing a biography? Um, I, I actually did think about that a couple of times, uh, and I would actually do that. You know, if there was somebody in ufology or cryptozoology who had a really sort of fascinating life and, um, you know, that I could sort of tell a really good story i mean i mean kind of did in a way with the contactees book i guess right because that's kind of like in a way it's kind of like a series of smaller vignette like uh yeah exactly but um i mean that that's doable again it comes down to you know finding one that hasn't been done i think i mean i wouldn't do this one because it'd be such a complicated book to research it would take years but i mean i think the perfect one would be like a biography of john keel you know that'd be a really good one yeah yeah, for sure. Um, you know, from day one till the day he died. Um, but again, I think that would take up so much time doing the research and, you know, it would, it would be a major project. Not that there's anything, obviously, uh, wrong with a major project. But, I mean, um, I think, you know, it, it would be um, somebody like that. If I was going to do that. Right, right. Uh, or, you know, a big figure in cryptozoology. But, um, but again, you know, it's got to be you know, an adventurous, fun life that you're talking about. So, right, right, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not, yeah. You know, it's not going to read well if it's just some guy who sits at home, you know, and does nothing, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's not going to read read well. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, can you, I, 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 think, I feel like you're probably the best person to ask about this. It came up when I was talking to Marie a couple of weeks ago, uh, I think. So, yeah, I think it was Marie. Um what the hell's going on with this Rendlesham thing? Um, 
You know, I, I know it's been sort of like controversial over the last. There's like these infights and everything over the last few years, but it seems like it's exploding even more lately. And I, I don't want to get into like telling tales out of school, but yeah. he's already posted the shit on Facebook. Like Peter Robbins has had some kind of schism with Larry Warren, and and I don't know what that's all about. And uh, I, he he Peter posted like a screed on 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 his Facebook today, and I only read a part of it, so oh, okay. I don't know too much about it. But I figured. I assume, you know, you might have something to know about, or at the very least, what the hell's going on with all this infighting in, in, the, in the Rundlesham thing. Well, I've got to be honest, I haven't followed the infighting, but, I mean, I do know Larry and Peter. I met them both the first time about 20 years ago back in England when they were touring around with the book, you know. Um, and, you know... I've, if you don't know I've, about I've, it, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 have, I have saw. I did see that there was a big controversy about it, but I just haven't followed it that deeply. I, right. I honestly don't know all the, who, what you know, the, 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 the who said about this or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, I haven't yeah. followed it deeply. But I mean, what I will say, like I said, I, I first met him about 20 years ago in England when they were touring around on Left at Eastgate because it had just come out, and um, you know, over the years I've, I've hung out with Larry and Peter and. You know, I had no no issues or no problems. Um, the only thing I do know, uh, pretty much, is that you know there's been this debate about the the data in the book. But you know, I'm honestly not avoiding the the situation. I actually haven't followed what the the claims and the accusations okay. are. All right, sorry. Um, mainly, you and I are a lot, yeah. a lot of like words. Like who has yeah. who has time mainly, for that? Mainly, mainly is because the main reason why I haven't is is chiefly because you know I'm. If I'm working in the day and whatever, writing books and magazine articles, to be honest, when I finish for the day, I don't surf around the net for UFO stuff, you yeah, know, yeah. a life away. So, um, but I mean, what I would say, you know, ufology has always been sort of in a state of flux in terms of people in the subject. And of course, when, um, you know, you have different people who are involved in, diff in the same cases from different perspectives, then that can cause complications too. And I think from some of the things I've seen, maybe that's what people were talking about in Rendlesham, about, you know, different people having different versions of events. But as I say, I'm not aware of the specifics, but, um, you know, I mean, you can go back to the days of, like, George Adamski, and again, it's sort of that he said, she said situation, you know, where you have people who are major followers of Adamski and there are people who just, you know, blow him off and there are other people somewhere in between. And I think when you're dealing with controversial cases, and this doesn't necessarily just relate to UFOs or even the paranormal, you know, um, when controversy surfaces, there's always going to be, you know, different points of view, etc. But... Uh, but now, I mean, I guess after you've sort of, you know, brought all this up, I'm gonna have to uh, catch up and read. Yeah, up on no, it. I didn't mean to. Do, I didn't mean, <laughs> didn't mean to curse you with that. With no, that, I don't uh, mind. It's just you know, um, I, think, I, I mean, I think we remember. I remember a couple of years ago when me and Greg were on, and you asked again. You asked me a couple of specific questions. You remember about certain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like breaking UFO cases, and you said, "What do you think about this?" And I was like. Uh, what is it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll rattle Peter and get him on the show to get all this out. But I, yeah, I don't know. Something happens. I, something happens. That's all I know. And I think you and I are a lot alike too. Where it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I know there's been a fallout, but I don't actually. I haven't actually read it 
you know anything in depth to know exactly what the fallout is. Right. I'm in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think you and I are a lot of like in the sense where it's like, unless it's something really crazy like that MUFON uh, scandal earlier uh, a couple months ago, it's like I generally try not to get mixed up in these. Oh uh, yeah, that was a whole fights. story in itself, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so talk about. I, I, you've already talked uh, in depth, like everywhere, about the. Uh, about the new Roswell book, but I guess we had you on, I don't know if we talked about it before, but I'm sure we have sort of talked about your research. So what, I guess, is this like a new reissuing of the, of the research? And like, I presume you found some new stuff. Well, yeah, the, the, the book, or the first book I did on Roswell was called Body Snatchers in the Desert. That came out in um, 2005. So 12 oh, wow. years ago. Wow. Yeah. That seems just, like yesterday. <laughs> that's, that's an oldie now. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and basically, for people who don't know, um, it was a study or a, a, an account of all the various stories that I got from a bunch of old timers in the military, etc., um, who said that yes, something did come down at Roswell. It wasn't a weather balloon or a mogul balloon, and the bodies weren't crash test dummies. But they they claimed that it wasn't extraterrestrial either. They claimed that it was essentially like a series of dark and dubious human experiments um, using people in sort of <clears throat> high-altitude flights, um, exposure to cosmic rays and um, the effects of, uh, of high-altitude, things like this, and that some of these experiments reportedly went wrong and the the, the guinea pig people on board, um, you know, were killed and some of these events where te- these incidents occurred in New Mexico and, um, you know, they crashed. And in some cases, as with the Roswell case, that the public, like the rancher Matt Brazel, got to the crash site before the military, saw this strange wreckage, the bodies which had been laying out in the sun for a, a couple of days, etc. And they claimed that the legends of the crashed UFO story were basically based around um, these um, controversial human experiments. Now, of course, when the book came out, you know, I was like, um, <laughs> like the worst thing since Saddam Hussein, you know what I mean? It was, right, uh, right. I mean, I'd get up every morning and click on UFO updates and um, there'd be another one. How dare Nick Redfern say this? But, I mean, you know, i got thick skin. I don't care about that. You know, I'll, somebody wants to argue with me, I'll argue back, you know. <laughs> they want to take a swing, they'll end up on the floor. <laughs> there you go. There you, you go. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. That's all fine with me. You know, I grew up in the English pubs and, you know, I'm... I can easily protect myself and <laughs> take care of myself. There you go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a situation where, um, you know, people just... It wasn't so much that people didn't believe it. It was clear from the words of a lot of people they didn't want to believe that was the answer. And in one sense, I get that. But also, I take the view that if you have already got a belief system for any case in place... And, yeah, you might be right, but when you want it to be this and you, or you want it to be that, that's like kind of, for me at least, that's crossing the line from being um, open-minded to, you know, to have to just having a belief system. Right. And the new book, which is called The Roswell UFO Con- Conspiracy, which has just come out about three weeks ago, it's basically a follow-on from Body Snatchers in the Desert. And the reason why... It's taken me um, 12 years to put out a sequel is simply because that's how long it's taken to get enough new material to warrant writing a book as a follow-up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like um, a rehash of the original book or a, or a, a rewrite. It, it's, you know, it's all new material. Oh, okay. But um, 
there's no way I could have written it, say, three or four years ago because the book would have been, you know, 100 pages or whatever, and there's nobody wants to read a 100-page book, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so really, it was only this year that um, I was able to be in a position to finally say, well, there's enough material, enough words here to warrant a book. And, um, and one of the things that I pointed out in the book, which wasn't really mentioned in the first book because it didn't really occur to me until the book came out. People were constantly saying when the first book came out, oh, this is Nick Redfern's theory or Nick Redfern's idea. What I've pointed out in the, the new book is that despite the fact that people said that, and in some cases still do, the the story of this idea that the, the experiments involved handicapped people and Japanese um, personnel and things like this in these, uh, and even prisoners um, in these sort of experiments, um, sort of against their will. Um, the, the story itself, although I wrote a book about it now too, a number of other sources have also published the same story from completely different sources. For example, back in 1997, um, Popular Mechanics magazine, which is a you know, well-respected magazine, they put out a story in the summer of 97, which was actually the, the 60th anniversary, excuse me, the 50th anniversary of Roswell. Yeah. They put out a, an article stating that they'd been told of a forthcoming release of documents which would tell of... Um, these human experiments um, that had to be sort of hidden at all costs. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, Leonard Stringfield, who died in 94, he published the same story in 1991 about um, Japanese people reportedly brought over or um, who were uh, from the end of the Second World War, uh, Japanese scientists brought over uh, involved in these experiments. And um, Ke uh, Keith Basterfield, a well-respected Australian uh, researcher, actually before Body Snatchers came out, he was given uh, an almost identical story to the one that I told in Body Snatchers. Um, and it was only after Body Snatchers came out and Keith read the book that he was like, wow, you know, this is actually the same story I was told, you know, however long before. So in other words, when people ask me if I think I'm on the right track, I think I probably am, but obviously I can't prove it. You know, I'm honest enough to admit I cannot prove the theory. Yeah. Um, but when you have multiple people all around the world getting the same story but from different sources and sometimes in very obscure ways, that it doesn't mean the story's true or can be proved to be true, but what it does show is that it's actually a story that's been out there a long time, but a lot of researchers haven't done much with it. Mm. And in some cases, they've actually actively buried it because they don't want the story out. They don't want, you know, ufology's sacred cow to be affected in any way, or as I call it, St. Roswell. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and this is one of the problems I have with um, Roswell as a case and some of the people in it, is that when you elevate one case to the the most important UFO event of all time, if it crashes, then people are going to become very disillusioned and maybe even walk away from ufology. Now, if you just had, let's say, a famous abduction case and it turned out to be a hoax or a famous photograph and that turned out to be faked, ufology wouldn't come crashing down. But I actually do think that if Roswell crashes as a UFO event at least, 
there will be widespread disillusionment and you know a sense of why bother and that's not because of the it's you know it's just one case but right. i think that will happen because ufology has sort of put all its eggs in one basket and hoped that Roswell is going to be the case, and and ufology should not have done that. It should have been viewed as, yes, a very interesting case, but let's not put it on such a high pedestal that if it falls, you know, people are just going to be traumatized, and I think people will. And unfortunately, there's another angle, which is the very... I don't, I, I don't think it's cynical because I get to see a lot of what's going on in the background. Mm. I see some um, conference, some conferences where the lecturers, you know, they just want to tell people what they think people want to hear, you know, because why? Because they get their nice fee at the conference. And they buy their books and, and shit with the table. They buy book. Now, I mean, it's fair. I do that as well. But yeah, yeah, no, I know. But I, I mean, but it's I, like but if I, you're... A, I mean, I'm speaking at um, Roswell at the end of this month at the Roswell Festival. Now, if I was to write a book saying I've got brand new stuff on the alien angle, I'm sure I would t- sell a shitload more than I would saying I think it's a, a military experiment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I'm not going to do that. I have to go whereas I, I see the evidence. But I know of some very well-known people in ufology who will cynically go to a conference and just say what they think the audience wants to hear. Oh, and buy my books, you know. Right, and right. There's nothing wrong when your full-time job is writing books. There's nothing wrong with saying, oh, buy my books. But, you know, be honest with yourself and be honest with your audience. I mean, a classic example is the disclosure movement. Oh, God. You know, so many people hang on the idea that... Um, Disclosure's coming. And I've been to so many conferences where speakers on disclosure have said, you know, it's coming next month, or it's coming in six months, or I have insider sources have said it's coming in eight weeks' time, you know, <laughs> or, or it's coming at 2.30 next Friday afternoon or whatever, you know. Right. But the problem is it doesn't come and it hasn't come. My view is that it won't come. But, you know, I kind of have this loathing of people who... But get the audience all fired up and say, I've got an insider and it's coming next week. Oh, and by the way, you know, it's in this book. Um, that's not the way to do it. You know, the way to do it is, is, yes, tell the audience what's going on, what you've found. But if it doesn't tie in with what the audience wants to hear, well, don't shy away from that. Just be honest and say, hey, guys, you know, we may actually have been deceived into what we think happened. You may not like it. You may not like me for telling it, but that's how it is, you know. Right, right, exactly, yeah. I don't begrudge anyone selling books or anything like that, but it's like if your whole shtick is like to be the person who, you know, reinforces these people's beliefs and shit, and, and, you know, then that's that's where where you're getting into like – you're you're not you know you're not an athlete you're a sports entertainer territory you know you're 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 kind yeah, of a, you're, you're you're right. like a wrestler or something you're not you're not really a yeah. ufologist <laughs> yeah so you know in that sense it's a fine line you know between um you know how you handle cases and i mean i'm you know i've had some people say that because i wrote this roswell book or the two of them, they're a UFO debunker you know which, oh God. Uh, that again that again sort of demonstrates the power that Roswell has over people as a case. You know, I'm not a UFO debunker. I mean, I got in the subject because my dad worked on radar in the British military, and he was involved in several UFO cases where things were tracked that were clearly, you know, nothing we were flying back then. 
But so many people cannot separate Roswell, the case, from ufology, the subject. And I've had this so many times that they're like, oh, you don't think aliens crashed at Roswell? Well, why are you, you know, why are you a UFO debunker or you don't believe in aliens? I say, well, I'm not saying I don't believe in aliens. I'm just saying I'm not sure that aliens crashed at Roswell. That's two very different things, you know. But, um, but again, it just demonstrates the sheer, almost like a hypnotic power that Roswell has over people. Right. Now, you know, and the other thing, you know, which I'm perfectly fine about admitting, if people say to me, is there a chance that I've been lied to and fed disinformation well yeah there is you know there's no point me saying oh no no there's no way i could have been deceived because that's just ego driven crap you know right, what i mean right absolutely yeah 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 an honest researcher be... has to has to consider that yeah you have to and you know but the one thing more than anything else that makes me take the view it isn't disinformation is that if somebody on the inside is going to create a cover story why make it so controversial about using human test subjects? Why make it so controversial where arguably people might dig into it even more than a UFO crash story? Right, right. Yeah, that's the kind of story so, that you'd think other, the Washington it, Post would be looking yeah. into because it's not now, UFOs. In other, words, in other words, it's like disinformation programs are usually created to create a minimum of fuss, not a maximum amount of fuss. You know, that's kind of like with the... Air Force's explanation about the crash test dummies, you know, that the Roswell bodies were supposedly crash test dummies used in parachute experiments. Well, that was non-inflammatory, it wasn't controversial, and he just got a, a, you know, a quarter of a page in the, this newspaper or that paper, and on top of that, ufology just kind of dismissed it and went on its way. But it, the Air Force now had an explanation for the bodies, which they still stick to to this day. So, in other words, with those scenarios already in place, the crash test dummies and, you know, the, the Air Force says that the wreckage was from a mogul balloon, why confuse things and risk it blowing up by creating another cover story, yeah. you know, the one I'm talking about? So that's why I don't think it's a cover story. But, you know, I'll be brutally honest, that I, I cannot be sure, you know. There could be people in some dark room, you know, right at this minute listening to this show, sort of rubbing their hands together, thinking, oh, you know, if another 10 just believe what Nick's wrote in his book, you know, and then another 10, another 10, finally we'll put Roswell to rest. That could be going on. You know, like I said, um, people may not like what I say all the time, but I am honest about whether what we know versus what we think versus what we want versus what we believe, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we talked about this in the past on the show, but Roswell is is lurching closer and closer to Tunguska territory, um, you know, with every year. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I would sort of make another analogy, more to like, like something like Jack the Ripper. Yeah, um, yeah. Because what you've got, you've got an old mystery that even just the words Roswell and Jack the Ripper, everybody has an image. You know, you think of Roswell, even to the general public know outside of ufology know that if you ask them, they'll say, oh, yeah, that was when the flying saucer crashed out. In oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I said before about say. Stan, you know, it was like his influence yeah. is so tremendous. You could walk down the street in, like, South Africa and just show them the yeah. word Roswell, and they'd know it's a it's a UFO. Yeah. <laughs> they would say UFO. It's like, holy shit, yeah. man. That's quite well, then the it's kind of like with Jack the Ripper, you know, everybody knows, oh, it was this killer in London, you know, back when, and all these, you know, and there's 
different theories for Roswell in the same way. There's different theories for Jack the Ripper and... But everybody's dead, pretty much. Well, certainly everybody's dead in relation to the Jack the Ripper the case, but right. nearly everybody's gone who was involved in Roswell. So, in other words, we're in that territory where we've got a lot of data, a lot of witness testimony to look back on, newspaper reports, theories, but getting the evidence, the actual proof, we're still at that brick wall stage. You know, it's like whether it's me or Stan, or Kevin Randall, or Don Schmidt, or any of the other Roswell researchers, we've all got our witnesses, our testimony, etc., etc. But each and every one of us has got one thing in common. There's a brick wall stopping us getting the 100% piece of proof that we need to, to actually demonstrate what really happened. Right. And, I, and again, to be brutally honest, I just don't see how we get past that solid wall, that brick wall. I mean, the only ways I could think of is that disclosure happens, but I just don't think disclosure is going to happen. Now, the other two possibilities is that something like a document or a batch of documents surfaces by accident. You know, mistakes sometimes do happen with things like freedom of information. Yeah. And it would only need, you know, one page gets mistakenly released or there's an obscure mention in a 200-page file that got overlooked and it mentions the case, then the doors would blow wide open. And the other way would be, you know, if there was some kind of like a, a ufological Edward Snowden, that kind of thing, like an unforeseen person on the inside walks out one day with the, the entire stash of Roswell files or a substantial number right, of them. Right, right, right. I have I to think that, like, yeah. they're gone. Like I have to think, I have to think that you actually, if you, you know, if you had like mutant X-Man powers, you could just go and get them, you know, because you're invisible or whatever. Like I don't even know if anyone can find them. They're all, they're like seventy years old. I mean, where the fuck? I don't even know. I don't. You know, I have a feeling they probably hid them away. And a part of me thinks that like the information, regardless of sort of like paper files, but just like the information, it's been like three generations. I, I feel like it's been handed down. More by word of mouth than that. I don't think they wrote anything down, like, when all this shit went down, relatively speaking. Well, that's a good point, actually. I'll tell you, for one of the things a lot of people forget, you know, particularly in the age we live in now, you know, everything's sort of preserved, you know, whether it's on your own laptop, you know, on your phone, on a thumb drive, on, on whatever, you know. Right. Um, it's all preserved, and that's why hacking and things like that... Um, it's so easy to do, relatively, you know, because people, everything's online. People often forget that back in, in the time of Roswell, 1947, everything was paper and typewriters. That's all it was. And so, in other words, it would be, you know, people say, well, how is it possible that they could hide all these files? Well, it's simple. If, if there were thousands of pages put together on whatever happened at Roswell, you know, the plans for the flight why the craft, even if it was a human experiment or aliens, why it crashed, autopsies of the bodies, whether humans or aliens. There would have been thousands and thousands of pages. But if you think about it, if it was all, you know, 1940s, 50s era, uh, crumbling brown paper now, then it would be easy just to keep that stored, say, 50 feet underground, you know, you know in a 45 bunker, um, guarded yeah. 24-7. And it's yeah. just, and it's all just piled up in, say, 15 filing cabinets, then that would almost be impossible to get because there's no way to access the material 
it isn't online, you know, and it isn't yeah. hidden away in some, uh, you know, in some data bank that is impossible to penetrate. It's just sitting in a filing cabinet. That could be the explanation as to why we cannot find it, because it is in sort of, you know, almost like the final stage of Rages of the Lost Ark, you know, where... It's just shuffled away somewhere. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. It's like buried deep, it, yeah, in the basement of, like, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base or some shit. Yeah. I mean, and not I even probably take, there, but, like, Area 51. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. who the fuck knows what's in the basement of Area 51, but that might be a place <laughs> they would put the, the files. But, like, well, yeah, I, like, you know, in a way, it's like, talk about, like, this, I, I don't necessarily know if I believe in MJ-12, but I kind of believe in the idea that, that maybe they all, kind, you know, that there was sort of a small coterie of, uh, minds talking about this with the inside info and it's like i just don't think they would write a lot of this shit down you know it's like where are they gonna go okay we have this super super ultra like earth shattering secret now here let me hand janice my secretary the notes and she's gonna type them up mm-hmm. so we can put a put them in a file it's like you don't trust janice with this information like you're not it's like so secret you're not you're not gonna even want anyone to know about it. So it's like, this doesn't leave the room type shit, I think. Mm. That's my theory, at least. Well, there's another, or I should say, similar angle to, to that approach that you just mentioned. And that's the fact that, let's just say, hypothetically, that aliens did crash at Roswell. Now, if the technology was so advanced that it was just, you know, inexplicable to us, it was just be totally beyond us. You know, I'm not a big fan of the the Corso book where he claims that, you know, within a couple of years of finding the Roswell wreckage that we were back engineering fiber optics and, you know, transistors and computers, you know, to me that's, I I just can't write that story. But if you say, if you, you know, you do look at the idea that let's say that what happened was a UFO crash, but the technology is so far ahead of us there's a possibility that it really just has been stored away because we cannot do anything with it. We cannot understand the technology. All we know for sure is something's come down, we've got it, we don't understand it, we can't replicate it, and we know that there's life elsewhere because we've got these strange bodies which we've autopsied but which we haven't really learned much from. If you look at it like that, you can easily understand how it would be just stored away until a future time comes when our technology catches up and we can perhaps finally understand it. You know, it's kind of like if somebody time-traveled an iPhone back to the 1800s, you know, not only would they not understand it, they wouldn't have the technology and the science to replicate it or use it. So in that sense, that could be like Roswell. It's like, well, guys, we've studied this for 50 years, 40 years. We We haven't got a clue what's going on. We haven't got a clue about the technology. Let's just put it in a bunker, you know, until we catch up. And until then, it'll be locked away. No one will know about it. No one will find it. And maybe that's actually what has happened, you know. Yeah, yeah. And if you went all that time back and gave them an iPod, it would only be, you'd only be able to fuck around with it for like a day. And then the battery would die. (laughs) Well, that's true, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they'd be like, now I just have this weird plastic thing. I don't even know what it is. Well, that's a perfect analogy with, with the technology not existing. The problem is with the iPhone you couldn't charge it up because the technology wouldn't exist then right. to allow you, you know, to put your charger in the wall and charge <laughs> yeah. it up. Yeah, exactly. You know? So in other words, um, that could be the position we're in. We cannot replicate the technology because we haven't reached the point of, you know, like the people of the 1800s, they hadn't reached the point of having electrical sockets or whatever. We haven't reached the point possibly of being able to replicate the alien 
technology, if it was alien technology. And so, uh, yeah, people may not want to hear that, that it's just all stored away and nobody's doing anything with it. But if you think about it in that scenario, it does make sense. In Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's necessary to, like, think outside the box on this thing with the Roswell because it's, like, it's been so long that, you know, anything's really possible. I found what you said really interesting uh, about how if Roswell crashed, pun intended, I guess, uh, that it would be like, I don't want to say a death blow, but it would be a blow for ufology. It's very, that is interesting. I was sort of wondering that as you said that. It was like, I'm trying to imagine like the response of people. Like I, I could see that in a lot of ways. I think that, I think that there would be like a sense of despair almost, like a serious sense of despair where people would be like, and I don't think it would be like the new people who were in this. I think it would be like the people like me who, and, and I, well, I mean, you're, like, I can't think you're going to bail on Roswell if it, you, you wrote the book, you wrote the book, so it's not like you're going to bail, but it's like people like me who are sort of grown more cynical over time about this thing and been like, what the fuck, are they ever going to solve this thing? And if, and if, if it turned out the Roswell thing was bullshit, I could see, I'd stick around because I'm mentally like prepared for that possibility, but I could see other people being like, you know what, fuck it, I'm out, I'm out. I know well, I've put 20 years into this thing, and now you're telling me Roswell's bullshit? Like, forget it, forget it. I'm not even, you know. I think that there would be a profound sense of uh, of wasted time in a lot of people's uh Well, there you know, would minds. be. You're absolutely right on all those points, Tim. But the reason would be, like I said, it, not because of the case, but because it, it's been elevated to that right. huge level. And, you know, it's kind of like... You know, when somebody's built up to be, I don't know, the you know, the world's greatest boxer, and then they get, you know, they get slammed down on the floor with the first punch. You know, people are shocked, not just because, it, but mainly because of the build-up, you know, and it's kind of the, that with Roswell. And I think a lot of people, certainly, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, who've been at Roswell for years, there is this sense, I think, of it's got to be um, extraterrestrial because... What you know? What's the realization going to be if it turns out not to be extraterrestrial? And I've been doing this for decades and decades. I think certain people just don't want to face that possibility. Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you should you should face it and um, and just go where the evidence is, not not try and uphold a theory for anything. You know. But then yeah. again, the other pro- the other problem is that I I do that, and then people accuse me of fence sitting. <laughs> so it's <Yeah>. like. <laughs> It's like, no, I'm not fence-sitting. I'm just open to what happened. I'm just looking for the answer. I'm not looking to uphold an answer. Right, people, exactly, yeah. You know, people, people want, very often, people want an answer, and they want it to be the answer they want. But, you know, life's not always like that. You know, I, I want to win the lottery on a Saturday night, but it don't happen. You know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it, it's sort of like to... Talk to that idea of the despair and everything, and sort of bailing on the thing. It's like I I can say, folks, in a way, I'm kind of living proof in a different way because it was like I politics aside, I was sort of bullish on this Hillary Clinton disclosure thing, and it was like in a way, it was kind of like what Nick's talking about here with the Roswell case, where it was like the disclosure movement put all their fucking eggs into the Hillary Clinton basket. There was no possible way Donald yeah. Trump was going to get elected. There was no contingency plan. There was no plan B. There was no, you know, what? let's see 
what that's all about. It was completely ignored. And I know a lot of the mainstream media did too, but it's like, you're trying to fucking unlock the UFO secret here, man. Like, you gotta, like, you gotta have a plan B. And when Donald Trump won, like, you could see the fucking air come out of this disclosure thing. Like, I, 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 get, I, I threw in the towel at that point. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. You know, fool me once, that's cool. Fool me a million times, I've had enough. And this is like, this is the biggest fool me job that I experienced in this field just because it came like from a mainstream thing where it's like, okay, this lady's running for president. She says she's going to at least fucking try to do something. I'm on board. You know, and I, you know, it has nothing necessarily in that sense to do with the disclosure movement, but nobody fucking, that, that's all they kept saying. That's all they kept pushing, that this was going to be the one. And it was like, ah, fuck this. What am I doing, you know? Well, you're right. I mean, that that is the problem that, that happens, you know, um, when people do get disillusioned. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I think, I think if ufology sort of took the approach that's, well, we've got a bunch of really interesting cases. Let's just look at them and see where it goes. You know, it, it, it could, it should be that simple. But, um, but you know, the, the human beings we're complex. You know, we uh, we have thoughts and emotions and feelings and and things. And and for yeah. that reason, which is a good thing, you know, but um, it demonstrates how you know a case can have a big emotional tie to it. Um, Right, right. Particularly for when people have made it their lives, um, which is one of the reasons why, like I said, you know, I like to switch off and have a completely normal life as well. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which, which is important when you're dealing with something like this because it is possible. You know, I mean, I see it a lot where people do get really obs- <clears throat> obsessed, and everything that goes on in their life is somehow connected to the phenomenon. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not criticizing people. I mean, it's it's more of a, of a of a warning that just you know to keep a balance between a regular life and you know don't fall into the position where you know which I've seen where people you know friends just drop off because they're just doing this 24 seven you know peering through the curtains worrying about the men in black coming. Yeah, you yeah. can't you can't live like that. But people, I know people who do, and you know it's it's not a healthy pathway to go down when you are so embedded in it. You know. Right, right. That's when you're the idiot on Facebook who every time a bomb goes off, you're like, false flag, false flag. It's like, yeah. dude, no. Well, I get stop. a lot of those on my <laughs> Facebook page, and I, I I delete them off as soon as they appear. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because. I'm just not interested in, you know, that all that crazy. I mean, it's like when there was the, you know, the um, the Manchester bombing. The f- the first thing that was posted to my Facebook page was false flag. And I basically told him to fuck off, you know, if that's all you've got to say, you know, there's people injured, dead, and you're, you, you know, 10 minutes into it, you're, you're putting together a conspiracy theory that the government did. It's like, you know, get back under your rock. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, somebody posted a great comment the other day because I guess one of these uh, Sandy Hook conspiracy theorists got sent to jail for harassing one of the families. And uh, somebody in the comments posted, don't worry, she won't be going to jail. It's just an actor. Yeah. It's like, it's, I, I'd like well, to see I'd like to see someone go up to her and be like, so is it, so it going to be an actor going to jail now, <laughs> lady? Or, or are you really fucking going to jail? Because I'm pretty sure well, she's yeah. going to jail. And the, prob- the problem is, of course... When you get so far 
into that pathway, it's impossible to tell people any different. I mean, I've had people tell me, oh, excuse me, or comment about me, I should say, you know, that I was like hired to tell this Roswell story, you know, and I'm being paid by the government or whatever. Oh, God. Well, you know, well, I mean, you know what this subject's like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Know. It's not like, you know, nobody's going to be driving around the, you know, the Beverly Hills driving a Ferrari because you're in ufology, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. No, I'm, I'm imagining I'm imagining Nick as like an MI6 agent now. Like, <laughs> that's the cool part, since you're British. It's like, people won't accuse you of being CIA, they accuse you of being MI6, which is a lot cooler. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it is one of these things where where I get that, you know, but you, it's hard. I mean, I, I actually enjoy arguing with people on the net. It's, you know, it can be fun at times. But when you're dealing with someone who instead of concluding the truth, which is I genuinely think, genuinely think there is a possibility that aliens did not crash at Roswell, instead of just accepting that, which is the truth, they create this elaborate thing that I've been somehow recruited and I'm doing this and I'm doing that, you know, and like I said, you, you know, you end up living in the Hollywood Hills because of the, you know, the intelligence community's paycheck you get every month. You know, right, exactly. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, people, and I always say to people, you know, well, come and see where I live, you know what I mean? I live yeah. in like a, a 300 square, 400 square foot rented apartment. I drive a 14-year-old car, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining about that. You know, I chose the job that I enjoy doing. I'd much rather do that than be a stressed out businessman earning 200 grand and having an ulcer at 35 or something, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, but in saying that, it's, you know, people, I've had that so many times where people have weaved scenarios to explain something I've said when the actual answer is just the easiest one and which happens to be the, you know, the true one. But uh, again, it's like, um, I don't know why that happens in ufology, but it does. There has to be another hidden or controversial or conspiracy-filled reason why ABC happened. Right, rather right. than just the fact that ABC happened because it's the easiest answer, you know, because that is the answer. Right, right, yeah. It's like the it's like the guy whose wife's cheating on him, and he has these elaborate reasons why why she why 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 uh, why she couldn't possibly be cheating on him. It's like, folks, just wake up. This is what you know. The UFOs are cheating yeah. on us. They're cheating on yeah. us. So yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they, he just kind of like you know denies it all or, or whatever you know. Or yeah. who, who knows? But I mean, but again, that a lot of that does come again in all works of life. I mean, all walks of life. I mean, it's kind of like with UFO groups. Um, you know, there's these arguments. I want to be the assistant director. I want to be, oh God, yeah. you know, whatever. And I think there's an opening in Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, and I, I think, you know, you, you probably see this in, not that I know anything about the subject, but I mean, I'm sure like, um, like in the golfing community, you know, golf. Oh, club, yeah, yeah. Somebody wants to be the chairman. Somebody wants to be this. Oh, you know, I bet and, it's like parent-teacher organizations. I bet you they're the yeah. worst. And that's one of the reasons why I don't really have much to do with organized, you know, I, I mean, I lecture for organized groups, but I don't get involved in, you know, the politics of groups because it, it's just, 
it's a joke, you know, when it becomes about egos and um, why is that person allowed to do a 1,500-word article and I can only do a 1,000-word article, you oh, know? Oh, God. <laughs> that petty, um, Jesus, yeah. Oh, no, I've actually seen that. I've seen oh. that question asked of a group, of oh a my God. director of a group. Get um, a grip, folks. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but, I mean, you know, it's, again, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm targeting ufologists. This is human nature. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, Lauren, Lauren Coleman was on the show last week, and we were talking about how it's like the Bigfoot field seems like it's turning, it's sort of evolving into more, into kind of like a, like a, like a quasi-mutant version of ufology, in a sense, where it's like you have these different state groups of Bigfoot folks. It's like, that really wasn't around, like, from what I can recall, like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. But now it's like, every state has, like, a Bigfoot group. It seems. Yeah, I'd actually given that a thought before, but um, but yeah, you're right. And um, I guess you know a lot of it is just down to times changing and how research is done. You know, a lot of research is now done on online. You know, when it comes to UFOs, um, rather than going out and you know interviewing people and taking soil samples if there's been a landing, you don't really seem to see too much of that as much as you did in the say the 50s, 60s, and 70s, certainly. But, um, you know, like I said, um, there's, a, there's no doubt there's a genuine UFO phenomenon. <laughs> but I, I'm inclined to sort of more go down the, like the John Keel path, that it's sort of more of a paranormal, multidimensional thing rather than nuts and bolts yeah. aliens visiting us, you know. And um, so. Now, let's pivot to Bigfoot, because... Uh... You've done a lot of research on the Bigfoot thing. What's your What's your latest sort of thoughts on this thing? Uh, you're You're of the well, belief that this is like more of an interdimensional type creature, right? Yeah, I mean, my latest thoughts are pretty much you know the the thoughts I've had for the last sort of you know twenty years. I mean, when I was like ten or eleven, I guess when I first got into reading books on things like UFOs and the Bermuda Triangle and Bigfoot, I probably was like eleven or twelve that thereabouts. And kind of like most things when you're a little kid or a young kid, uh, everything's kind of black and white, you know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, and you don't sort of see the always the bigger picture. But as I, certainly as I got into my sort of late 20s, you know, I began to sort of veer away from the idea that we were dealing with extraterrestrials, which we could be, you know, uh, but we're dealing with something definitively alien. But I think it's likely more like I said, paranormal, multidimensional. I kind of think the same with Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, you know, if if these things are flesh and blood animals, and because they've been seen all across the United States, and because they're so massive, you know, seven to eight feet tall, they've got to be the luckiest animals on the planet, never, ever, ever to have been caught, captured, shot, tagged, for, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not happened even once. Yes, we've got film footage. Yes, we've got photographs. Yes, we've got witness testimony. But we don't have anything concrete. Now, in a country, I get it. You know, the United States is massive. And there are gigantic areas of forest land. But, you know, I mean, the report. I live just outside Dallas. And you, there are reports of Bigfoot-type creatures like 40 minutes from where President Kennedy was shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and we can't catch one um, with all our technology, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now, people say, well, most people never see a mountain lion in the wild or a grizzly bear. Well, that's true. They don't. But some, some people, people have. But some people have. <laughs> and some people have, you know, these 
you know, these guys who like to put um, deer heads on the wall or grizzly bear heads on the wall, you know, that kind of thing. Um, which for me, I think, is just because they got a little dick, you know. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, yeah. But that's like a, an entirely different psychological <laughs> yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, yeah, um, from my perspective, you know, um, if you look at all the people who have hunted animals or have tagged animals or they've gone into zoos, etc., etc., um, what you find is that it's always these cryptids like Bigfoot, the Yeti, lake monsters. Mothman, it's all these type of creatures which are always 100% elusive. And if we had in, in, in the United States, you know, colonies all across the country of Bigfoot, we should have at least just one. You know, I'm not asking for 20 or 30 specimens. One will do to prove the case. And when you add to that the reports of... Um, Bigfoot hunters who've seen, and eyewitnesses who aren't Bigfoot hunters, who've seen these creatures vanish in a flash of light or disappear, or they've had an effect on um, like audio recording equipment, flashlights, things like this. Um, when you put those issues into the context of the elusive nature of Bigfoot, I think we are dealing with a real creature of some sort, but it's not just a North American equivalent of an African gorilla. Uh, it's something much stranger, and I think it is sort of a multidimensional creature. Now, whether that means it's flesh and blood or it's some sort of energy-based thing that manifests in, in the form of a creature, I don't know. But it exists, but I'm not convinced at all that it's just, you know, uh, an ape. Because, like I said, you know, when we first started on this on this thread, if it is a, if they are flesh and blood animals, the idea that thousands and there's got to be because they've been seen all around the country, you know, there's got to be at least in the low thousands, and they're seven to eight feet tall, never caught, no animal on the planet is that lucky. You know? Right, right, right. And uh, I'll I'll give you credit here in a sense where it's like I remember interviewing Jacques Vallée and I said, you know, you you ask these questions, you put forward these ideas that. I never thought of before, and it changed my understanding and thought process of uh, the UFO phenomenon. I can say the same to you with regards to the Bigfoot thing, because I've come back to this thing that you have pointed out before, where it's like they have Bigfoot sightings in England, and it's just there's just no way no. that that country is poss could possibly sustain a Bigfoot population. Just not really possible. And it's like, and if people, I'm sure, I'm sure people will argue that. Okay, but the, then you move on to what about the Bigfoot reports in fucking Hawaii? Like, you know, like that 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 land sprung up from the ocean, man. Like a Bigfoot did not swim out to Hawaii and start a colony. There's no like possible way that a Bigfoot could be in Hawaii. But there are Hawaiian Bigfoot reports, which makes you think that there has to be something beyond uh, a flesh and blood creature. Now, maybe, well, you know, in some places there are flesh and blood Bigfoots, but I think that, you know, there's a, a healthy percentage of sightings are something else. Like it could like an interdimensional Bigfoot or something else, you know? Yeah. Have you ever had Stan Gordon on the show about Bigfoot? Yeah, I have. I was actually going to oh, ask okay, you about cool. that because I wanted to well, know yeah. what you thought about some of those cases where, like, 
the UFOs and the Bigfoot, especially that one that's like on the cover of his book. That's like the, the you know yeah. the guy came out of the house, he saw a UFO, he nearly shit his pants. He looked he looked over at the fence and he was like, and now there's two Bigfoot. Yeah. It's like I, I you know it's I mean Stan personally investigated that. I find it really hard to believe this guy made this shit up. Oh no, Stan didn't. I mean you know no, no not Stan, people. the guy, the witness. I mean. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, I mean Stan's done a bunch of you know research going back to the to the 60s, really, and into this. And certainly, you know, he chronicled in that Silent Invasion book all those 1970s reports. Now, and, and I'm not saying it couldn't be a flesh-and-blood creature, but if it is, it's, so, it's only temporarily in our reality, you know, and that's why I think people... There's, there can be, like, a wave of Bigfoot sightings in a little town, and then everybody and his brother's looking for them, but no-one can find them. It's because... You know, they're not there anymore, but they were there. And uh, But it's interesting about the British reports. Um, again, a lot of people don't know about that aspect, but many of the British reports of Bigfoot-type creatures are made around ancient stone circles. Um, not Stonehenge. I don't know of one literally at Stonehenge. But, you know, throughout the UK, there are literally hundreds of uh, stone circles. Some of them are just, you know, like six, seven feet diameter. They're like really small ones. And, you know, Stonehenge is known the best because it's the biggest one. Right. But there are quite a few reports from like ancient burial mounds, um, stone circles, uh, things like that. So, um, again, you know, if these, if these were flesh and blood animals in the UK of a normal type, but an unknown type, why would they be seen so often around magical locations rather than just at random, you know? Right, right, exactly. And it's like, I've likened it to the in the past to like, you can cut off a starfish's thing and it grows back. It's like, the Bigfoot yeah. might have some kind of powers we don't even know about, we can't comprehend. Look, whether or not Anton is indeed a midget or a dwarf... No, he's or... a midget. What's the difference? Well, a dwarf is someone who has disproportionately short arms and legs. Oh, I know the ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's caused by a hormone deficiency. Yeah, bloody hormones. Yeah. Mm. A midget is still a dwarf, but their arms and legs are in proportion. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. So, what's an elf? Do you want to answer that? An elf is a supernatural being. Sometimes they're invisible, they're like fairies. They don't actually exist, do they? In real life. I know you wrote the book because you dedicated it to me. You did the thing for me, and I really appreciate it. And now I'm an asshole because I don't remember the title, but it's. But oh, uh, Monster Files. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, based on this idea of like, you know, uh, FOIA and file type searches yeah. on these things. Somebody in the, in the chat room mentioned this, and we may have talked about this on the past, but I want to pursue it again tonight. It's like, have you ever considered the possibility? And this is like the craziest conspiracy theory, but I've heard it in a bunch of different places too. Just that, that the government knows that the government knows what Bigfoot is, and they don't—they're not going to tell us. And I asked in the chat room why, and the person said, "Fuck you, that's why." <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is what you expect in the discourse of a paranormal show. So, so but, but because I, I don't know why the fuck the government would want to keep this covered up. But like, well, have you thought about it? And I'm sure you've heard this theory before. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of. Uh, weird stories. I mean, there's the one story um, is when Mount St. Helens in Washington State exploded. Or yeah, yeah, that was a big one, yeah. Yeah, in 1980. And Mount St. Helens, for literally decades, there were reports of Bigfoot on, seen on Mount St. Helens. And there are a lot of 
sort of conspiracy-based stories of the military going out and recovering the bodies of burned and killed Bigfoots, and some injured and some okay, and reportedly airlifting them out the area to military bases. The, the kind of story is not unlike, you know, the tales of a crashed UFO and the military right. along and collect yeah. the bodies and so on, like that. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of stories like that. Now, Stan... Um, had a number of witnesses who were approached by the military and reportedly were shown pictures of Bigfoot and asked if they could identify what they saw, if it sort of paralleled the Air Force's pictures. The only reason I can really think of as to why somebody in the military might want to hide the truth of Bigfoot would be if it's because they're trying to understand the powers or the technology that these creatures have. Right. Now, if they can sort of make themselves invisible or if they can, you know, leap through dimensions, those would all arguably be great weapons and tools for the military. You know, you know, if you have this sort of paranormal tool that allows you to, you know, sort of cloak your appearance so you are effectively invisible, that would be something that, the military would want to try and understand and replicate. So I don't think I don't think anything's being hidden on Bigfoot because they just don't want to tell us that there's an, a large colony of apes living in right, America. I right, right. They would tell us that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it would have to be. But I, yeah. Yeah. It has to be. I think something that relates to how the abilities of these creatures are of interest for ter- for weaponizing basically their abilities. Yeah, that's an interesting point, man. It makes perfect sense where it would be like, if they find the Bigfoot and the Bigfoot can do crazy shit, they're not going to be like, hey, we found an animal that can yeah. disappear at will. And, you know, they're going to be like, hey, how can we figure this out? Yeah, exactly. So, that, that, I mean, whether or not that's actually going on, you know, that's a very different thing. But, I mean, the closest I've come to this is sort of, you know, reading these stories like stands where somebody in the official world has an interest in Bigfoot, but I haven't, you know, heard any sort of off-the-record stories that definitively suggest that it's because we're trying to weaponize the technology or the powers. But if it, if it did come out that, um, you know, the Bigfoot, there is a con- uh, conspiracy, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't, you know, for the science technology angle. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you... Uh... If you if someone now comes forward and tells you that you got to write a book and, and dedicate that one go. that one to me and call it I would say call it Weaponizing Bigfoot, which is a great title. <laughs> well, that would be a bad one, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's a good title for a book, Weaponizing Bigfoot. Um, yeah, well, it kind of harkens back. I know you don't do ghosts, so we're not going to get into that, but it's like uh, it harkens back to something that sort of like came up in conversation a long, long time ago with uh, with Rosemary Ellen Guiley on the show, and it's like. We spent all this time talking about UFO disclosure and shit. What does the government know? And here we are talking about what is the Bigfoot. We, you know, what do they know about the Bigfoot? And it's like, I think, this is a crazy kind of conspiracy theory, but it makes perfect sense in a way. I think the government probably knows, or some element of the government probably knows what happens when you die. And they can't, and they're not going to tell anyone. That's what would fucking blow up civilization. So they don't, they don't tell you that. But I would assume if they do all the, if they have all these, like, clandestine projects, they'd have to have figured that out at some point. So to me, well, I think this maybe uh, that's my sort of, like, conspiracy theory of sorts. Well, there have been some files that have been released through the Freedom of Information Act about where research was done 
um, into the issue of out-of-body experiences and how it sort of tied in with the concept of the human soul and things like that. And, you know, that, that sort of may just be the tip of the iceberg. And I think, you know, anything that kind of deals with religion is always, um, you know, a, an area that's filled with controversy. I mean, that's why the world's in turmoil, because you have opposing religions, you know, all over the place battling with each other for just just for belief systems is what a lot of it comes down to really at the end of the day and i mean if if we're all honest with ourselves nobody really knows what happens when you die you know what i mean yeah um now as i said i'm not that interested in like ghost stories and haunted house stories but i have had a you know a few weird experiences and you know i think everybody if you've had like a close friend or family member has died numerous people, maybe even the majority of the people will tell you that something weird kind of happened after the death, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, like, yeah, like, it happened to me. Like a strange synchronicity, or, you know, three weeks later there was a sudden smell in the house of, you know, the the, the man's wife's died, and suddenly, you know, there's like the overwhelming smell of her perfume or something. You know, that that kind of thing happens a lot, and it's almost as if something kind of stays around for a little while, and then goes on. I actually had that uh, happen with uh, one of my dogs, um, Charity. She died uh, back in 2003. Um, she was a, a sharper, you know, the, the big wrinkly dogs. Right. And um, and she died suddenly. She had a, a condition called familial sharper fever, which um, it's caused, unfortunately, by too much inbreeding of the of the that particular type of dog. And um, you know, it was a horrible, terrible, tragic time. You know, we all love our pets. Um, but there were a couple of really weird things that happened um, right after she died. One was like an overpowering odour um, of wet dog in the uh, duplex I was living in at the time, which literally just came out of nowhere. And that this, in that same week, there were a couple of weird synchronicities happened as well. Hmm. And and I honestly do think that something does survive bodily death. You know, whether you call it the soul or the life force or essence and maybe you know because people talk about pets coming back maybe it's not just us maybe every living thing that has ever lived has some sort of life force you know yeah but where i kind of draw the line is that you know when people talk about pearly gates and you know um and um harps and you know sitting on clouds and all that business um that i find hard to take in the same way i find hard to take the idea of this red colored guy with a forked tail you know and a pitchfork and horns and pushing people into some fiery pit um in the same way you know that somebody might argue against reincarnation so i you know if we're all honest with ourselves none of us really know what happens when we die but I do think there's enough data, particularly surrounding when people die and weird stuff happens, to suggest that something survives the physical death. Now, whether it's completely our character as it is now or it's some aspect of our character, maybe that explains why when they come back, it's done in such obscure ways because right, they can't right. contact us you know, say, hey, hey, Tim, how's it going? You know, because that part of us doesn't exist anymore. Um, so, 
you know, it's uh, it's an interesting area. I've forgotten now why we got onto it, but anyway. Oh uh, yeah, about the government like knowing and keeping it secret. Oh yeah. Like the government, yeah, I mean, like the government would never tell anyone if they fucking knew, you know that. You know, well, anything. I mean, on that angle, one of the things that's interesting is that one of the people who sort of made a tie-in between like alien abductions and life after death and covered this quite extensively uh, was Whitley Strieber. Oh, yeah. uh, particularly in communion and transformation. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting, but also disturbing stuff in there. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean disturbing because it just is disturbing information. Right. About right. the idea of the greys being able to manipulate human souls and yeah, reach yeah, them around. About bizarre stuff. And, he, and in his first couple of books, uh, Whitley spoke quite extensively about how it was pretty clear somebody was watching him. You know, it sounded more like, not like one of the known ABC agencies, but more like a deeply buried clandestine group that was watching the abductees. And um, that, you know, that would sort of push things down, you know, the path you're talking about, the idea of a group clandestinely looking into the issues of life after death and maybe tying it in with the UFO subjects and the greys. And, you know, that would have big, have a, obviously have a big impact on... <coughs> You know, if we, if we, whatever the truth is, if somebody doesn't has proof of what the truth of life after death is, you know, some people are either going to be very pleased and some are going to be totally pissed because it's not. There's going to be one answer. So, in other words, all of these different belief systems that are in place now, um, most of them are going to be proved to be wrong. One of them is going to be proved to be right. And, right, right. and the way the world is now, no religion is probably going to accept that it is wrong. They're going to say their version of events is right and oh, the rest God, yeah, are all yeah. wrong. So it's just, in that sense, it's probably far better from the perspective to say, we just, we, if we put this out, there's going to be chaos, so let's just bury it. Yeah. Well, nobody fucking believes anything anymore, man. I I want to ask you about the Collins elite, but the, to the point I just uh, I just blurted out there, it's like, I don't want to get into politics because I'm so tired of this shit, and it's like I deal with that all the time. But I guess the question I've posed to some of the guests I've had on recent weeks is, uh, I guess just from a from a meta standpoint, just from a pull the camera back kind of point of view, it's like, what do you make of just like this? How America, and I guess by extension the world, has become like in like everyone's a fucking conspiracy theorist now. Like, it's not – conspiracy theory is so mainstream that it's not even funny. It's like there's just people who believe different versions of events <laughs> that make up our current world uh, to the point that Alex Jones is like a household name, which is unbelievable. I mean, you're from Texas. Like, I'm, I'm sure you kind of follow the – at least that this guy used to be just like a cable access dude that, uh, yeah. you know, when you and I were doing our first interviews and stuff. And now it's like he's on NBC on Sunday. He's, you know, President Obama uh, ripped on him in a speech. It's like this this guy is so far and above beyond anyone in the paranormal could possibly hope to fucking be. Um, Should tell you exactly sort of, you know, at the end of the year we do these things on the show where it's like here's what's hot, here's what's not. It's like, dude, fuck all that. Conspiracy theory has blown everything else out of the fucking water. It is – it is, it is, you know, taking hold of the psyche of of the planet. Um, I guess so. <laughs> what do you do? You have an opinion on that at all? 
Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is you're right, you know, that the, the conspiracies are everywhere. And I think the reason is because, number one, you know, that's the, the, the I guess, the increase in, in surveillance, you know, of the, of the population all across the planet um, kind of creates this image, a correct image, you know, that we're being watched with, you know, uh, iPhones, you know, Facebook, Twitter emails, uh, you know, are being constantly monitored, etc., etc. So then people think, well, who's doing it? Why is it being done? What have I done? So, you know, it's almost inevitable that that kind of mindset starts to develop. And then, of course, when you've got, you know, everything like fake news, alternative news, you know, um, then, of course, you have conflicting, totally conflicting statements or scenarios for one thing. And so people are like, well, both views can't be correct. Exactly. And so then, yeah. then they take the view, well, who's telling the truth and who isn't? And so inevitably, because of because of the nature of politics now, and you know how things like, <coughs> excuse me, you know, sort of fake news, alternative facts have become commonplace terms. It's like everybody is exposed to this kind of mindset. When if you look back 30 years ago people who looked into conspiracies, it was just a handful of people who were either looking into like the Kennedy assassination or Watergate, uh, who shot Martin Luther King, and that was about it. Yeah. But today, you know, everything is, you know, 9-11's a conspiracy, um, you know, the Manchester attack was a conspiracy, um, everything's a conspiracy, yeah. you know, and if it isn't, well... That's because we haven't found the conspiracy. So that that's the problem. It's just very often it's just the way the world is changing. It's not so much I think conspiracy theories are just popping up left, right, and centre. It's because the nature of which the world and the media are changing, and the confl the conflicting information that surfaces, it it inevitably pushes us down that path. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like they fragment, you know, not they, but the the media got fragmented. And it's like a big problem, I think, is uh, just social media in a lot of ways. Because it's like you you can filter what you learn, you know. And I think a lot of people are too late are too lazy to like not do that. I mean, I try not to do it as much as possible, but it's like I think a lot of people just just. Uh, they 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 block everybody they don't want to hear about and all that shit and they they only stay on that you know because I'm a news hound I'm looking at all this stuff anyway so it's not I'm exposed to different points of view but it's like they just they decide on their track and they're gonna go down it and it's like we're dealing with a lot of uh, people with closed minds because they've they've tailored the world to what they want to believe it's very creepy well I think one of the problems with and this goes to worldwide news is that today. <laughs> The news is less about reporting the news, and it's more about this channel or that channel putting their own spin on it. You know, why is it that we, you know, um, can't just report on the news? You know, investigative journalism and report on what we've found. But, you know, you go to one news channel and, the, and another news channel, they're both reporting on it, but they've got Different their own things. spins, which yeah, yeah. provide the listener or the viewer with a totally different... Um, scenario and outlook, um, and that's because. But they've reported on exactly the same thing, so you know it's it's unfortunate from the the world we live in now that you know that there is this spin by the channels 
to you know to promote their particular politician or against their particular politician when in actual fact the new news outlet should be there to report the news not to tell us their version of what they want to be the truth you know yeah exactly it's, it's kind uh, of like v for vendetta almost you know what i mean Come I've never life. seen the movie. No, oh, you're not. Well, it's basically like we're set in England in a 20 years from now when, you know, the, the government's state-controlled and the, the media is totally controlled and it's just basically telling people, you know, what to what to believe. And, um, right. And people just, it's, they're, they're sort of plunged into, you know, like Russia circa 1955 or something. So um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's what we need to avoid. Yeah, yeah. I could rant and rave about that shit all night. So we're going to move to <laughs> a different topic before I piss somebody off. Um, and that's because somebody in the chat asked, and I, I, I wanted to know. I hate to put you on the spot in a sense because I, I know this is not like your bag. And I've had, I've said this to other people in the chat room too, it, it, for other guests, where it's like they ask me, ask him about this thing, and it's like it's kind of an obscure thing that only, only you and I know about. So why would why would Nick know about it? But this is, uh, and nobody in the chat room asked me that, but they asked me to ask you about the Collins Elite. And what I, I, what I wanted to ask you about it, and in a long, drawn-out way of asking, I'm not the best person to even be asking this question, so it's the perfect question for me to ask. But have you been following this Tom DeLong thing at all? Because from my understanding, um, which is limited, it's that uh, there seems to be something that kind of mirrors final events in a sense somewhere in there. That the, his story yeah. seems to be along the lines of what the final event story is. That's my understanding, but again, it's very rudimentary. Maybe you've heard about all this. Yeah, well, I actually met um, Tom DeLonge actually about eight, nine years ago, and he was attending um, a Jim Mars lecture. Um, oh, wow. What, yeah, what it was. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but um, throughout most of the 2000s, Ryan Wood used to have a crash with crashed UFO retrieval conference in, in Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, I saw oh, yeah, the second right. one. That's right. And um, Tom DeLonge actually came along to the, he's either like the 2007, 8, 9 one, anyway. And, you know, because as you know, I love punk music, so I knew who he was immediately, you know. Yeah. And um, and so we had a chat about music and stuff like that. And um, and he said, you know, he was interested. He'd specifically come along for Jim's lecture all about the Kennedy assassination. So I knew when this story surfaced, it wasn't a surprise, you know, that he was. It wasn't like he was suddenly in this. You know, he he'd had a long-standing interest. Um, but as far as his stories, well, for, to give people sort of a bit, bit of background first on. When you mentioned the Collins elite and final events, yeah, yeah, final I know events. that was that was probably one of the worst <laughs> worded questions. I kind of just <laughs> rambled there for a while, but I think you got all the points I was trying. Yeah, to make. but um, final events is a book that came out from me in 2010, and it dealt with a group deeply buried in the excuse me, in the intelligence community slash military. Um, called the Collins Elite, and it was like a think tank type group, and it may still exist, um, which essentially was looking at the UFO subject from the perspective of being not extraterrestrial or multidimensional, or at least not as we see multidimensional, but as literally demonic. You know, they viewed it as like, um, like a demonic deception that um, they came to conclude like today's modern UFO wave and sightings of goblins 500 years ago and, you know, fairies and things like that. 
any kind of magical supernatural being that is interacted with people they believe are demonic and they believe that the UFO issue of today is just the latest incarnation of trying to deceive us and move us away from as they saw it move us away from Christianity towards like a, a non-religious world um, and the Collins elite this and they, I, I should stress you know these aren't my beliefs this is the beliefs of the Collins elite right um, but they came to conclude that some sort of like final confrontation between good and evil is looming on the horizon and that, you know, all the way in which the world's sort of gone to, you know, hell in the last, <laughs> no pun intended, in the last sort of uh, few years, you know, where it's like, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, a month, couple of months ago, you know, when all the North Korea was flexing its muscles again, every day you would hear the words, the words like World War Three. you know right, what I mean? Right. Yeah, exactly. All the time. And the, the Collins elite believe that that isn't like coincidence. They think that, you know, things like North Korea, um, you know, ecological disasters, plane crashes, viruses, terrorist outbreaks, they believe this is a manifestation of evil um, on our world. And they also believe that part of that manifestation is the ruse that abductions and close encounters are, are, are extraterrestrial when they believe, like I said, it's, it's demonic and it's designed to try and pull us over to the the dark side if you like um and you know it's in that sense you know it does kind of tie in with what some of the things he's talking about with you know some kind of big disclosure you know and for i kind of got an impression that the disclosure wasn't going to be just um oh we've got you know 15 dead aliens and a bunch of trashed up wreckage or whatever right i kind of got the feeling from some of the words that were said and the statements which i can't remember word by word now but i did get a feeling that they were talking about something that was more powerful on a almost like a spiritual level you know yeah you hear it yeah 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 no no that was that was basically it that was why i went quiet (laughs) (laughs) I i was like yeah i think that's you know they they I, for me, I got the view that he was kind of gearing up, or the this group of yeah. people on the inside were gearing up to a revelation, no pun intended, okay. um, that would be well, not just, you know, the idea that aliens are coming. And, and I think that was, you know, the, the reason why, you know, it's kind of been seen a little bit different to the average disclosure story. This is the DeLong thing. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure if we were because at some point you sort oh, no, like no, segue yeah, from the Collins thing. elite to the to DeLong again. I was that's where I yeah, was lost. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the Tom DeLonge thing. I think you, some of the things I read about it, it yeah. did sound more of like a like a like more of a spiritual revelation, at least in right, part. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering about. It's very yeah. interesting because it's like I've it, spoken it, to it, some it, of the same. That's people. what I, I was just I took to, the words right out of my mouth. That's what I. That's <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Because they did approach several people. I mean, the only reason I was able to write Final Events was because I wrote, um, contacted a guy uh, named Ray Boucher, who used to be a MUFON state director in Nebraska. And he was approached by the group back in the early 1990s, actually 1991. Mm. Um, and there are good signs, you know, that they were going back decades before that. So they have spoken to different people over the years. And I think sometimes it's been done to sort of test the waters, you know, should we reveal what we believe is going on 
well, let's try and, you know, let's speak to a few, UFO, few UFO researchers, let's encourage them to write a few books, and we'll watch what the UFO scene says about it. Mm. And watching the UFO scene, if you think about it, would actually give the government um, sort of a good image of how the rest of the population would respond. You know, if you can... I suppose. Can I mean, the UFO field is full of lunatics. Though. <laughs> well, if, you, if you've got like three or 4,000 people right, right. in ufology who are being watched, and, you know, they range from, you know... Somebody the market yeah, somebody works at a gas station, someone's a, you know, a scientist, somebody else is a school bus driver, whatever, but they're all into ufology, then, yeah, you would have, like, you know, an ability to at least get some sense of how the overall population would respond. And so I think that may be why this has been done from time to time, is not because they are actually going to disclose, but they're still, every so often, they try and figure out what the population's view is on all these phenomena so they subtly or less than subtly say oh you know let's put a bit more of a story out say we're going to release something and let's just see if they've got the same mindset as they had 15 years ago or 25 years ago yeah yeah well uh like i said you took the words right out of my mouth it makes me wonder like i i the more i hear about this long thing i do think that it's probably somehow connected to what you were told and it's like a part i think that the you know, I think we, I think a lot. Of, it would be interesting. I don't know how you do this because, like, I don't know how this sort of thing works. But it's like, it would be interesting if you and him could get to, get together and talk. You might know some of the same people. Might be able to sort of figure out because, uh, you know, like you well, said, it, if they were market testing it through through UFO folks, it's like clearly they've taken another step here with the rock star. Like, if this guy's going to come out with a Collins Elite story, <laughs> then. Way more, no offense, but like way more people are going to hear it now than anyone else could have. No, you're, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's I mean, like he's already getting yeah, coverage yeah, just for right. saying he's looking at UFOs. Well, that could be. I mean, it's always difficult to know what's going on behind the scenes, you know, when it comes to secrecy and UFOs because there are so many different angles and right, different right. supposedly groups looking into this within government agencies from different perspectives that. You know, a lot of it, I think, does come down to belief systems. I mean, the Collins elite, like I said, they were full on and probably still are that this is demonic. But then you have, you know, back in the 40s, you have like Project Sign and Grudge. In the early days, they were full on for the extraterrestrial angle. And the CIA's Robertson panel looked more at the psychological aspects of ufology and how they, they could be manipulated. So what this shows is that I think maybe the government actually <laughs> doesn't really have a clue which is the correct answer. But they're not above putting some of these theories out into the public domain to see what the public think about those theories, you know. Right, right. Well, this just popped into my head talking to you now, and it's like the idea that the government, they're not averse going by the idea of what uh, Nick's new book there about Roswell says. You know, the government's not averse to, like, floating a flying saucer story to explain, to manipulate the public, essentially, to explain away, hide something then there's no telling that they couldn't be like, as crazy as this sounds, anything's possible, folks. It's not saying they couldn't just be like, hey, China has a crashed UFO and we need to, like, go to war with them or something. You know what I mean? It's like they could they could use disclosure to manipulate people in a way – they might try and weaponize disclosure, I guess is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And the well, Collins elite especially because it's like we're teetering on sort of a weird holy war right now. These religions and stuff. 
if the Collins elite came out and were like, listen, the aliens, they're Jesus and they're working with them, or God knows, or the aliens are demons or whatever, um, and use the religious angle and, and fashion it around disclosure, you could really sway a lot of people. Well, one of the most disturbing aspects of the whole Collins elite story is that they concluded that the best way to keep these you know, demons masquerading as aliens away is to put up like a a strong barrier, but born out of uh, like um, old style Christianity. They they believe that the only way to save people was to create almost like um, like a, a real like a, a society, like an iron fisted religion driven society, oh like Handmaid's uh, Tale. Yeah, and the reason they felt that was because the stronger and more powerful the belief, they felt the easier it was to keep these things at bay. And they felt that the only way to do that was to instill, you know, like literally like iron-fisted Old Testament, blood and thunder, oh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. fear of God kind of scenario, but Jesus. amp it up to the ultimate degree. Yeah. And they felt that that would essentially put a brick wall up and bring all this to a close. But, the, but of course, there's other people in the group who were of a more lenient mind felt that is it really worth placing the population into sort of almost like um you know a state controlled iron fisted nation just to allow us to survive when life really would be pretty grim you know yeah, exactly so, uh, that's the real yeah that's the weird yeah, so even with, within the group there was you know and again as a stress these aren't my views they are the, the group's uh, views but even within the group there was no sort of uh, single scenario or idea that they all agreed on. They, within themselves, they disagree quite a lot as to how this should be approached and whether the public should be told and or should be kept in the dark and just wait till your turn comes, you know. And you, right, you right, of, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you pop your clogs, as you say, and then we find out what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy, yeah. Well, it's funny in a sense. It's like you... You look at these aliens, you're like, oh, why do they all look the same? You know, they have, like, this hive mind and shit. And it's like, well, that's one way that you could evolve into the hive mind alien species if you're under some uh, weird, like, uh, puritanical society, in a sense. It's fascinating, yeah, in a way. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this sort of goes way beyond just whether or not UFOs are real. You know, it impacts massively on us as a civilization and oh, yeah, yeah. nations and cultures and... Um, you know, so, but the, the thing is, in today's world with social media, it's it's so easy and worryingly easy to manipulate people because everybody gets the news immediately. You know what I mean? And, right. Um, and you're told it's this or it's that, and um, you know, I mean, you think about it. Terms like alternative facts that would not probably have spread outside of the U.S. If it was back, say, in the 1970s or 80s, or even the early to mid 90s, because there was no way for it to travel around the planet so quickly, you know, and people under using the term in jokes and sketches on shows and whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And th that's you know th that's why why people are so easily controlled because the data, whether it's true or not, hits us immediately and you know constantly. So, um, yeah, it's weird in a lot of ways. It's like this, this internet thing. I mean, we saw you and I are old enough where we were like, we had lives as children where this thing wasn't even, didn't exist yet. You know what I mean? Which is frightening in a way because as we get older, it's, there's less and less, less of us. You know, it's kind <laughs> well, of scary. 
Where they're like, well, you know, you're right. But I mean, one 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 of the things I would you're right in that in that sense. One of the things I would say is that you know, there's no doubt that the you know the way in which a lot of people interact has changed, and certainly for I guess people who are now sort of under twenty. Um, you know, their lives are dominated by social media. I mean, you know, it's like when I was a kid, you know, I'd be sort of riding my bike around the little village I used to live in and falling off a bike and, you know, scratching yeah. your legs and arms. And I mean, you know, you do that today, well, you know, you get, you're, you're classed as a bad parent and, you know... And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... Before you know it, the authorities are getting involved, all because you rode your bike around town and happened to fall off. You know, yeah. well, that's what kids, kids are supposed to fall off their bikes. You that's know what, what I, I mean? say about those creepy clowns. At least they're getting out of the house. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, when people say, well, your kids can't go out at night. Well... Yes, there are some dangerous places on the planet. Everywhere there's some certain dangerous places. But there have always been dangerous places, and there have always been dangerous people. But, you know, um, to say that, oh, well, you know, your kids can't play outside and they've got to be watched 24-7. Oh, God, that's, no. That's, that's like fear factor kind of situations, you know. And, um, you know, the idea, like, like I said, um, you know, just like they call the nanny state. You know, I don't know if they keep calling it over here, but in England, yeah, you, know, yeah, the idea heard, that, yeah. you know, you you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this because you might get injured, and um, yeah, you know, it, it's just ridiculous. I mean, um, but but the I guess the big downside, of course, but I'm sure people are sort of you know younger than us are going to say, oh well, you know, just older people, you know, preaching to us. But what I would say is that, you know, it's not the fault of kids who are young today that perhaps they're, you know, so entangled with social media and don't socialise going out that much. It's just the world they're brought into. You know, it's no point us complaining. No, 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 no. Yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. it used to be, because every generation says that, and the kids who are 20 now will say exactly the same thing when they're, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever. Oh, They'll yeah, say yeah, exactly yeah. the same thing in relation to the technology that's around then. But the only thing I would say is that, yes, the Internet is a great tool, and we could not live without it, and we shouldn't, but I think it has led to isolation, and it's led to an erosion of how we socially, or how a lot of people interact socially. I mean, it doesn't bother, make much difference in my life, you know, Friday and Saturday night, you know, Friday might be going out, you know, with a, for a drink with a bunch of mates, Saturday could be a soccer game, Sunday, you know, take a girlfriend out to see a band play, um, you know, I'm always doing shit, um, so it doesn't really impact on me, but if I look at people, friends of mine who've got kids, I don't see them doing the stuff that I did, you know, and right, right. the stuff I did was great fun, you know, racing around with all your mates at 8 o'clock at night on a Wednesday night on your bikes and playing soldiers and whatever, you know, which yeah, you yeah. probably get, you probably get criticized for playing soldiers because it's <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's I think that um you know, it's like the fundamental thing that came along in our generation or lifetime or whatever that changed society, the world, civilization, you know, it's like the to, to older folks it's like the automobile and and you know, maybe television it's like our generation, this is the thing. This is the thing that came along in our lives that like changed I mean, civilization. 
Yeah, I mean, you can only look back just a few centuries. Like you said, you know, um, I'm from England. I mean, you only have to go back three or four hundred years, and people were burning people at the stake for being witches. You know, so we, <laughs> yeah, have, made, exactly. we have made some progress. But if you think about it, that's not long ago that people really believed it was okay to take somebody into a little village and set fire to them. You know what I mean? And everybody yeah. be clapping because you got rid of a witch. So, in other words, you know society civilization does change and changes in massive ways and i'm sure if there's a civilization a human civilization around 400 years from now it'll be so unrecognizable and so different that we'll just be glad that we were born when we were born you know because you kind of get thrust there's this theory you know like future shock if you get suddenly plunged into a future world your mind wouldn't take it because it was so different to the one that you're comfortable in you know so um because we did develop slowly and bit by bit, but to be plunged into a totally different world would be very different. So that's why I think, you know, for kids today, if they're happy, sort of just texting, that's fine. I don't have an issue with it. I just think, you know, sort of going out to the woods with a tent, telling spooky stories, you know, and um, hanging out when you're 10 or 11 and doing that, it's it's fun, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, those creepy clowns, at least they're getting out of the house. <laughs> now can we go we're running up to like the end of the thing can we go like 15 more minutes just to clear it up oh, the yeah. uh yeah. the time we planned originally yeah. awesome you're the man um well what do you have cooking in the well actually where can we it's like five minutes so where would uh where would folks who are listening on the live show where's their hub to find out more from nick redfern uh, well, I have a blog which I update most dates, uh, most days. It's called World of Whatever, and the the address is Nick Redfern Fortean, F O R T E A N, Nick Redfern Fortean. Blogspot. Com. Uh, people can contact me there, or Twitter Nick Redfern UFO, or uh, my Facebook page. There's five or six, or maybe a few more Nick Redferns, but you'll find me uh, on there. Um, as far as what I've got going on, I'll actually be speaking at the um, annual. Roswell UFO Festival that Guy Malone puts on in oh, Roswell nice. every July. So I'll be there this um, um, coming July. It's the I think it's the 27th of or the 28th of June through to about the 2nd or 3rd of uh, July. And um, I'm going to be speaking about the new book, and uh, no doubt they'll be uh, burning me in effigy down Roswell High Street or whatever. So. <laughs> and, uh, so I'll be speaking there about that. And also about the Collins Elite, I'm doing two different lectures, and I think I'm doing each one twice, so people will have a chance if they miss it the first time. Um, and in September, I'll have a totally different book out uh, called Shapeshifters, which deals with tales of shapeshifting creatures throughout history, mythology, folklore, paranormal. So obviously there's things like werewolves in there, but also things like skinwalkers and tales of um, African leopard cults Jesus. and um, all sorts of sort of things that throughout history have been perceived as, as shapeshifters. So uh, that'll be out through Llewellyn Books in September. Then in February of next year, not too far away, I guess, I've got um, a book coming out on the entire Slenderman controversy. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about, yeah. Yeah, well, that it was the... I mean, I can talk about it because, you know, the information's actually online at new page books that the publisher yeah talk about that of, new book well yeah that one kind of you know begins with how the slender man story began as you know essentially like the ultimate um 
ultimate bad guy of the internet, you know, like the ultimate internet meme for the paranormal. Um, but then, you know, the interesting thing is that people began to see the Slender Man in the real world as if, um, you know, the, the idea that the idea of like thought forms and tulpas that when people believe in something and the belief so powerful, it can actually sort of create something like a like a, a supernatural equivalent of the of the thing that's actually born out of the imagination that's a concept of of a thought form you concentrate on something so deeply and think about it and so many people millions or hundreds of thousands around the world are doing the same and what you get is a sudden spontaneous creation of a real version of what actually was just um, you know something from somebody's imagination so it looks at how and why um, the phenomenon of the slender man develops so much of a fascination to things like you know the, the stabbing of the of the girl by the, by the two girls in wisconsin and then how people are now seeing the creature or whatever you want to call it and also the, the various different theories that have been put forward and that would include things like the Tolpa theory. And also, you know, the idea is the Internet becoming self-aware and actually creating these images ourselves, itself, for, for us. So, um, you know, a lot of our areas are covered. That's interesting. How do you mean, like, self-aware? How would it do that? Well, there, I've actually got a couple of people I interviewed for the book who actually said they saw on their laptop, like, the image of the Slender Man appear and, and talk to them. All right, well, hold on. Let me just say goodnight to the live folks. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and uh, we will uh, be back next week. And uh, thanks to all the folks in the chat room. Uh, you don't have your names in front of me, but uh, thank you. So <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Next week, uh, Jason off at 9 p.m. Uh, yeah, that's it pretty much. Uh, yeah, what, June 20th. Sorry, Nick. That's all right. There we go. I, I think that's fine. I don't know what else to say. So. All right. Cool. <laughs> so where were we? Where, where, where were we talking? Oh, 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 oh. The internet creating Slenderman somehow on its own. Well, yeah. This gets into some really weird areas, which go beyond sort of thought forms, but in a very different direction. Um, namely, the, the I've got a couple. Of... All right. We're good. Sorry, man. Oh. We're gonna go, we're um, just gonna keep recording this. <laughs> okay. One of the things I've got in the book is a couple of stories where people um, had actually seen the, slen the Slender Man on their laptop. And I don't mean, you know, surfacing, I don't mean surfing the internet or Googling or anything like that. I mean, literally, like the, the, the figure or the image or the silhouette of the Slender Man would appear on the screen and would actually start talking to them, threatening them. Jesus. Yeah, which is like really spooky, you know, and so... The theory is that there's like this theory that um, when millions of people go on a search engine and look for something, they're actually almost like a hive mind, all focusing on this one thing. And if the Internet's self-aware, it kind of gives back to what yeah. the people are looking for. So it's the Internet itself, the theory is, creates this imagery, but it does so because of this mass... Um, mass number of minds that are all focusing deeply on the internet and all putting the thought out 
that they're looking for information on the Slender Man. And, and the other angle that I cover in the book that a lot of people don't realize is that there's actually a lot of reports of Slender Man-type things, almost identical, that actually predate the creation of the Slender Man in 2009. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard they about go that back kind of thing. Yeah. decades, in some cases centuries. So, so basically it'll cover just about every aspect of the Slender Man mystery. And as I said, that'll be out um, February of next year. Yeah, that's a creepy, creepy uh, story. Well, there's a lot of... Yeah, I mean, the guy uh, who created it, by his own admission, you know, he had a lot of um, inspirations, like, for example, the Men in Black, the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, the Shadow People. Right. Um, some of the creatures um, conjured up, um, created by H.P. Lovecraft, you know. So there was a lot of different archetypes, if you like, that went into the imagery of of what the you know the, the slender man is yeah a lot of creepy elements yeah it's weird it's like we've created our own generation again it's like this is our generation's thing in a hundred years from now they'll yeah. be like the folks who lived on the, at the turn of the century uh you know they 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 brought upon the internet and also uh you know one common myth from that time was the slender man it's like <laughs> and we're you know we're gonna be like how do they believe that shit what are they what are they crazy yeah, but uh, you know it's it's interesting because it's it's not just one story. You know, it's it's sort of sprung off into so many different angles and theories and experiences. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ideas and concepts and what the nature of reality really is. You know, and, and things like that. So. I mean, I joked about it earlier. Uh, you do a book on the clown thing because I feel like this thing it's still unfolding. But I feel like you'd be a great person to write the the uh, well, I guess the definitive the... clown book. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, if, if I'm doing one-on-one -on -one creepy creature like Slenderman, I could do another one to follow it up, you know. Yeah, yeah, because this clown thing. I did actually like... think about doing one once. Did, do you know the story of the Mad Gasher of Mattoon? I've heard about it, yeah, but I tell no, well, the folks about the... it because it's an awesome fucking story. So to... Yeah, I yeah, might yeah, doing so a book should... on that, actually, like spend a, a month or so out there and just get as much information. Because, again, it's like this creepy guy in a black suit who would sort of turn up at people's homes in this little um, town of Mattoon and, um, and in Illinois and they would um, describe how the, the house would be filled with this odour of like brimstone you know sulphur and they would feel paralysed and there would be this then this sweet odour would come over them and um, and this like guy in a black suit like in a proto man in black would loom over them in the bedroom or whatever and, um, and even the FBI got involved in that it was like a really weird story so uh yeah i guess uh i could do like you know the uh slender man the mad gas from a tune you know the, the, the creepy clown what is this grinning man you wrote about recently because that oh, well, thing grinning, is creepy as hell too well actually the grinning man is kind of um like a man in black he's usually described as like a more like the shadow people like a silhouetted man in black you know he's got like the black suit and black fedora but he's sometimes he described like a silhouette, like one-dimensional. But he has like this insane grin on his face. You know, most of the men in black kind of look grim, not grin. <laughs> you know, the grin, yeah, yeah, grim. G-R-I-M. But um, there are a, a number of cases where they do have these eerie smiles. Um, you know, like a serial killer smile, that sort of thing. Um, and... But they are—they do sort of veer more towards the shadow people than the men in black. But there is there's clearly a crossover. So you know the the, the grinning man is like another example of um, all these weird characters that you've got, like the shadow people, the hat man, 
the men in black, the black-eyed children. I was going to ask you about the, about the black-eyed children. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think of that thing? That is really because I mean well, you've looked extensively at the men in black phenomenon, but it's like this is so like fucking weird. Like this was. Well, I mean, I dude, I interviewed you uh, over a decade ago. There's no way that, that anyone that, that this came upon us <laughs> over the last ten years, where it's like, where did this come from? What is this? Well, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, at least today, a substantial number of black-eyed kid reports could actually be like thought forms and tulpas, because there's no there's no doubt that it hasn't taken off to the extent and level that the Slenderman phenomenon has. There's no doubt it hasn't reached that. But it has, at one point, I mean, that was the talked-about thing, you know, for a, for a while. You know, the Slenderman's just gone on and on and on. But, I mean, the, there's no doubt that the black-eyed kids, that was talked about extensively for a long time. And so, it's you know, still maybe, enormously popular. Well, it is, but it, it just hasn't reached sort of Slenderman proportions yet. So, if anything, but, it's on the rise, yeah. Yeah, but what I would say is that, yes, yeah, some of them could be tulpas. There could be others that were sort of, you know, people have started to, to write fictional stories about it, which they have. You can find a lot of fiction novels on on, on Amazon about the black-eyed kids. And um, so maybe that has kind of helped to engineer a second wave of black-eyed children, which are now in our real world, but were born out of our imagination, stepping out of our minds. But again, you know, they're, they're very similar to the men in black. They try and find a way to be invited into the home. You know, and the, the men in black wear black suits and black, hats, the, the black-eyed kids wear black hoodies, so there's also the, the colour's the same for the clothing yeah. and there's a hat or a you know a head covering component in both and the issue of trying to get invited into the house, etc, etc you put all these together and all of those things, like I said black-eyed kids, women in black, men in black hat man, shadow people grinning man, mad gas of Mattoon, spring Heel jack all yeah. of these are kind of somehow you know, interlinked. Yes, yes, exactly. It's fascinating to think about. I don't think I've ever put it, painted that it with that broad a brush before, but it makes perfect sense, and it's, it's weird. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's like, I wonder if it's some archetype in our own psyche of, like, intrusion or something, you know, well, that some people, people conjure think, up. Yeah, some people think that's why the the men in black and and the um, slender man wear black suits because it sort of reflects our fear of authority you know like guys in black suits turning up on your doorstep and flashing yeah, yeah. an id card you know it's kind of some people see it as like an analogy to that it's like our subconscious creating a paranormal equivalent of you know the the government agent kind of thing now you wrote the book Women in Black, which I think is just uh, yeah. kind of funny in a way, because it just seems it feels like you know those ghost hunting shows where it's like now there's black ghost hunters, now there's gay ghost hunters, now there's uh, you know different <laughs> demographics. It was like oh, women in black. It's good that they're branching out. Men in black are branching out to women in black. I like that. So who are who who are these women in black? I've never heard any of these stories before. Well, yeah, there's actually a lot of stories of women in black, and they're, they're just like the men in black. You know, they dress in black like a woman's business suit. They look very pale. They knock on people's doors and try and find, you know, get away into the house. And they typically turn up when people have had UFO encounters. Um, John Keel actually wrote quite extensively about this issue. And um, one famous series of events that he talked about was that 
Um, this was at the height of his Mothman research in Point Pleasant. He started to get phone calls um, from people say, in Point Pleasant saying they were getting visits from this eerie woman in black who said she was Keel's secretary and demanding information on all what they told him. Jesus. And they phoned John up and said, well, you know, we've already told you. Why do we need to tell this sort of creepy secretary of yours? And he's like, well, I don't have a secretary, you know. That's a crazy and, story. Uh, yeah, and I've got a lot like that in the book where, you know, they turn up claiming to be like census takers um, or, you know, they're doing a survey of the area, that kind of thing. And um, But then they start getting round to, have you had any strange dreams? And, and then things like... <laughs> and you're like, and, I thought you were here to read the gas meter. Yeah, and then the witnesses realise that they're actually, you know, there for an entirely different reason than they claimed you know, in the beginning. So, um, but again, they don't look like normal people. They look sort of gaunt and, you know, zombie-like almost. Um, so, it, and a lot of paranormal overtones with the women in black, um, you know, as if they, as if they are kind of, you know, something supernatural rather than human or even extraterrestrial. There's a um, number of reports in the book uh, where people have been visited by the women in black after they've been dabbling with Ouija boards as if they'd sort of opened a doorway, you know, that kind of let let something through. Jesus. Yeah. It's actually the book, although it's, you know, it, it's it, it, I point out that it is sort of like a, a study of the the parallels to the men in black, you know, it's the female equivalent. But it does read more, far, the book reads far more like, um, rather than, Independence Day meets the Men in Black. It's far more like um, H.P. Lovecraft meets, you know, Dracula or vampires. You know, it, it's kind of like dark, menacing, pale creatures coming out at night and threatening people and causing havoc in their lives, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said earlier, I think maybe I've often – well, not often, but in the past I've said on the show, it's like maybe – I talked to Eric Wallet. I don't know if you know about his book. He's kind of like a uh, very Jacques Vallée-esque, where he thinks that like a lot of this stuff is uh, a lot of UFO sightings are are like conjured by the mind, essentially during a state of great transition in society. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the, uh, the big flaps and waves, mm-hmm. and and I extrapolated from there in the past that maybe then a personal UFO sighting for someone, and it's been borne out in some things I've seen and read. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like a personal UFO sighting for somebody happens when they're in this state of great turmoil. Mm-hmm. So one wonders then if uh, if these if these like uh, entity experiences, for lack of a better term, happen also when people are in those states. You know what I mean? It'd be interesting well, to find that. Out. I mean, that also kind of ties in, I guess, with things like like religious conversion. You know what I mean? When yeah. um, somebody goes down a very deeply religious path. Well, you know, you could make a good case that that, in many respects, some religions do parallel ufology. You know, people in ufology encounter a higher being and they transform and change their lifestyle or whatever, so... Yeah. Have you ever been to those... (laughs) I talked about this with Marie. I went out out to L.A. uh, in April and I went to the... uh, I went to Unarius in San Diego and also the Aetherius Society in uh, L.A., have you ever been out to those like places? Oh yeah, me and Greg went to uh, oh, the Ethereum nice. yeah. Society about um, probably seven or eight years ago, something like that. Yeah, it's quite the trip. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, well, we had a good afternoon. We, we uh, went there, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and uh, there was nobody there, and the guy gave us a full tour, and we, we probably hung out with him about an hour. He was, I think he was happy that somebody turned up. That's exactly what happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how it always is there. <laughs> yeah, Sunday afternoon, too. Weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> actually, we just been to, I don't know if you know it, Devil's Gate, Devil Gate Dam in Pasadena. Yeah, yeah, we went there... Uh, Greg gave us the whole tour of L.A., essentially, oh, nice. for, for Paramania. So we saw all the different uh, weird oh, things. Cool. Yeah, Devil's Dam is cool as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right, so where can folks find the books again? I, I was, I'll was i tell this joke in a sense. I, I was looking oh. through your recent uh, books on Amazon, and I because and, <laughs> of the way they like have like these weird mistakes in their database and shit, one of the books, I have to find it, is written by both Nicholas Redfern and Nick Redfern. <laughs> but I don't know what that would me. be. Yeah, I was like, that must I be like the best book he's written, dude. He double wrote it. The doppelganger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So where Nick Redfern, forty in uh, Blogspot. What's the what's the thing again? Yeah, it's Nick Redfern, forty in F O R T A N. Nick Redfern, forty in dot blogspot dot com. That's my uh, website, and the title's World of Whatever. So just Google each, and also. Um, People can reach me at Twitter, Nick Redfern UFO, or you can find me on Facebook as well. And um, all my books are available on Amazon, and about half of them you can get off the shelves in Barnes & Noble as well. Yeah, absolutely. Nick's all over Barnes & Noble, folks. So, And uh, the I wrote them down here. Shapeshifters, Morphin Monsters, and Changing Cryptids. That's coming out in September 2017. The New World Order book is October 2017, and The Slenderman Mysteries is February 2018. He's already that... Uh, far ahead, and I think you can pre-order at least the first two, and I'm you may be able to even pre-order the uh, the Slenderman one. So yeah, folks, you actually can, you can, you can already uh, pre-order it. Yeah, so just order it. Here's a good tip, folks: order it now, and then in February of 2018, you go to the mailbox and you're like, oh, nice, I got that Nick Redfern book. It just came out. It's in my mailbox because I ordered it Damn. back in June because I listened to the show on Banal of America. So do that, and you get a little surprise next February. <laughs> all right, Nick, I can't thank you enough, man. I really do appreciate you coming on the show and no, enduring all these problems and shit. But we, in a way, it turned out better than I even could have hoped because we just jammed and <laughs> covered a whole oh, bunch of stuff. It was awesome. I actually like doing a show like that because, uh, you know, if if it's a show where, you know, it's just 20 questions, which oh, God, is all yeah. planned and pre ordered and whatever you know i just um it, it don't make for a good for good radio i don't think it's too kind of sterile you know what i mean and i think if you can just you know you don't really know where the conversation's going but it goes along fine you know i think that's a good way to do it and you cover a lot of ground and you know you can sort of chat about it openly and, oh we had a lot of laughs and a lot of just go where it all goes you know what i mean it's exactly. much better than just like a a formal sit down, you know, on some news show or whatever. Exactly. Well, thanks. I appreciate it, man. And like I said, this is our last season, and I wish I had you on more. But uh, every interview was fucking awesome with you, man. So I really appreciate it. And we'll be talking oh, again in the future. Don't worry about that. Um, all right. But I've really enjoyed uh, all our adventures over the years, and hopefully we can reconnect in the in the offline world someday soon. Yeah, that'll be cool. All right, brother. Thank you very much. All right. You, you can hang up. Some, sometimes folks stay on by accident. So, <laughs> so you're, you're more than welcome to go and watch uh, watch whatever you want to watch and chill out. All right. Have a good night, brother. All right. Cheers, Tim. See you later. Good night.
All right, there you go, folks. That was Nick Redfern. Awesome conversation. A lot like last week's show with Thorne Coleman. Just a, a pure jazz at this point. It's not even a jam session anymore. It's just jazz. We just cover everything and everything. <laughs> what does that even mean? Anything and everything. And uh, and bounce around from whatever topic comes up as the conversation progresses. Big thanks to the folks in the chat room. They added some interesting fuel for thought. I really appreciate that. And uh, thanks to all the folks who tuned in live. They're long gone now, of course, but hopefully they'll come back next week on the program when we bring you uh, Jason Offit, longtime friend of the program, BOA Audio's official drinking buddy. I'll give him that title. Jason Offit, BOA Audio's official drinking buddy. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. And uh, we'll bestow it on <laughs> We'll bestow it on him next week on the program at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Three weeks in a row at 9 p.m. This is crazy. But All of America Audio, June 20th at 9 p.m. Jason Offit. And I forgot, we're going to talk about the different monsters of America. Different uh, creatures and weird legends and mm, creepy things that you can find in all the different states around America. So it's going to be a tour of America and the weird monsters on Banal of America with Jason Offit, our good buddy and the official drinking buddy of BOA Audio. So that's next week. And uh, what else we got? Nothing, pretty much. So on that note, let me get the thing. Thank you for listening, folks, and I will talk to you next week on Banal of America.